when I give advice to others, it's, you know, you've got to be really passionate about this, right? Like that you've got to find a problem you're passionate about and then figure out what, what solutions are required to help you get there and get a competitive mm-hmm. advantage. And so if blockchain is not one of those, then, then obviously don't use it, right? If AI is not one of those, don't use it, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. so... Uh, but I think there's a lot of ways these days to apply these technologies and get a competitive advantage. That's the big thing that we're looking for when we look at those real world applications. It's does this technology give you a major competitive advantage versus the market? Welcome to the Founders Journey Podcast. Inspiration, education for founders by founders. Welcome back to the Founders Journey Podcast. I'm Greg Moran, uh, one of the hosts here, along with my uh, my co-host Peter Dean. Uh, good to see you back, Peter. Thanks for having and, me back. <laughs> and it's always a surprise. Um, yes. And uh, and here today, uh, actually, with our guest, I'll do a quick intro. But uh, Ali Madhaji, uh, who uh, we are thrilled to uh, thrilled to have with us today, Ali, welcome uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me on the show. So, uh, so just a real quick, uh, real quick intro of uh, of Ali here. He is the managing partner at Blockchain Founders Fund, based in uh, based out of Singapore. Um, and Blockchain Founders Fund really focuses on investing in uh, and really building top tier startups around blockchain intersection intersectional technologies like that with AI and things. Uh, he's also, uh, and we're going to get into that. So, if you don't know what any of that means, we'll talk about that. Because uh, that's kind of the topic today. Um, Ali also consults with uh, organizations on um, on emerging technologies like uh, INSEAD and the UN. Because I, I think one of the things we're going to talk about around alleviation of poverty, and that's another area that these technologies are, you know, they're not only good business, but I think there's there's also a lot of societal good um, that uh, that comes from. So he's an internationally acclaimed author, multiple books. Um, Serves as a board member of a few uh, a few publicly traded um, publicly traded companies. So all around, uh, super qualified to be talking about emerging technologies, blockchain, Web three, things like that. Uh, so Ali, welcome. Glad to have you. Thanks. So yeah, thanks so much for having me here, and excited to to share and also learn uh, from the two of you. Yeah, no, we're uh, we're. Go- I don't know how much we're going to be able to teach you about this stuff, but uh, but we're certainly uh, we're certainly uh, glad to have you. So. Let's start out just really high level. Talk about your background and and really and blockchain founders fund. How you got into this, um, you know how you got into this entire space. It's a it's a, it's a really good question, and you know, for me it it stems from I would say even the way that I was brought up and the environment and the circumstances, right? And so when I think about blockchain technology and really what's what's happening here is it's about really leveling the playing field. It's about increasing and allowing for transparency and more fair opportunities essentially across the board. And, you know, when you put that in the context of, you know, why I gravitated to this space so fast, you know, I look back and I see the environment that I grew up in. I mean, you know, both of my parents are refugees from East Africa, moving to Canada. And I think that environment, you know, created a lot of uncertain circumstances and a lot of you know, uh, unfortunate events, but that led to, I would say, a fortunate situation, circumstance. And then you put that with the earlier things that I did, and you mentioned some of them in my bio around, you know, the books and, you know, having served on the board of governors in the University of Toronto as well, which is a multi-billion dollar institution, 
published three books in the education space. Um, and a big part of that was, you know, how do we help level the playing field for everyone? And I think education in a similar way is a great equalizer of opportunity. And, mm-hmm. you know, that really led to, uh, at the end of the day, once I came across Bitcoin and, and blockchain technology, even though it was, you know, in a fairly early form to what we see today, you know, it really triggered this ability to really like level the playing field and actually solve a lot of these global challenges around circumstances that just aren't fair and not equal opportunity. And so fast forward, uh, did a startup in the space in 16, 17. Uh, once we exited that, we started Blockchain Founders Fund in, in 2017. We now have 110 portfolio companies in the space. Uh, you know, we've invested literally all across the spectrum in this area and this technology, even beyond some of the areas where I mentioned around like leveling the pay, uh, playing field, solving multi-party trust issues across organizations. But it's even further than that. And I think in a lot of cases, you know, the hype sort of masks what's really going on. So take, you know, over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of hype around NFTs and people think that these are JPEGs and monkey images. And it's it's further from right? The big innovation here that everyone's missing, that's even, it's so apparent, but it's it's just missing, is that this is the first technology in human history that essentially allows us to have ownership in the digital world. And if you right. think about how core ownership is in the physical world, right? I mean, our societies are based on ownership of things. And so... What makes us think that that's not required in the digital world when we're moving more and more in that direction? I take it 30, 40 years ago, none of us were spending time in the digital world, right? Maybe it was 0% or 5%. Now, if you ask a, a Gen Z, you're going to see 50, 60, 70% of time in the digital world, right? And that's only going to continue. So these things are actually so critical to, I would say, everything that we unlocking value in like the future of human society in so many ways of being able to transfer value digitally, being able to own things digitally, that this is at the core. And I think we're going to start to see that over this next few years where it's going to become more and more apparent. It's so interesting. I, you know, it, it, it's funny. I sat yesterday and until you just explained it the way you did, right. I, do, I wasn't making this connection because again, you know, I, I've sort of lived in the enterprise SaaS world. Every business I've started has been around that. So the whole concept of blockchain web three is still fairly new to me. Um, and I sat with a founder yesterday, I was in New York yesterday and, um, and he's starting a, and his business is basically it's art curation, digital art curation. Right. And he was explaining the same concept to me around this digital ownership. The problem is you have so many, it, in this use case, right, this is around works of art. It's just out there. And the ability to basically trace it back to the actual creator itself, right, to the to the creator of that work um, has historically just been nearly impossible, right? But that ability then to connect that creator with the end consumer of that art you know, it, it 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 makes sense when you start to think about that, right? Because I, I produce, you know, a lot of written content. Other people produce a lot of digital content. You stick it out there, but that's it. It, it goes, it could go anywhere. This is actually connecting those dots. Am I sort of explaining that, right? I mean, that was the use case I sort of stumbled across yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you, when you look at this, even from an art 
active and you start having the creation of, all of these things around like stable diffusion and you see all these different forms of art that are only at, really at the start really at the sort of the cusp of what's happening in this technology i mean right. all of this needs to be tracked even in terms of a blockchain when you think about auditability of ai even right like this is still yep. in its very early stages but as you see regulating come up more which it will it's in discussion now all of these things are going to need to be auditable and understanding what's going into this black box and what's coming out is going to need to be pretty clear. And all of this is going to end up having to happen on some sort of blockchain. Yep. Yeah. That's pretty, it's really amazing. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Um, Back to your, now you've, you've funded a lot of companies in the space. What does that landscape look like now? I know you're, you're talking, you're talking about like emerging AI with some of this technology, but have you seen the funding for this change? I know AI, we talked to Carter recently and they say that's a, that's obviously a big place. A lot of funding's going. I know you had a time when there was a lot of funding going towards this technology. How are you seeing that evolve uh, in what your guys are doing? It's a, it's a good question, right? So when, when we look at about investing, we're investing in Web3 and blockchain as a whole, but yep. you know we really look at major coming at the cusp of technologies and interactions of technology. When you bring together AI and blockchain, when you bring together like IoT and blockchain, you can start unlocking real exponential growth from the timing of these technologies where they're at right now. Uh, so when we look at, you know, what's happening sort of from a broader landscape, you know, there, there was a lot of funding, you're right, you know, into 21, you know, Man. 22, 23 have been, you know, relatively slow years say, and you've seen a really big pullback until probably last couple of months. And I'll sort of explain what we've seen more broadly. It's not just blockchain. It's actually the, uh, I would say, the macro venture line. And so once you saw public market valuations get cuts, we talked about SaaS a little bit earlier. You saw mm-hmm. public public company multiples on SaaS, you know, go from forward revenues of, of 30x, 35x down to 5x, 7x, 10x. Right. right. And, and, and we're probably closer to 10 X even right now. And in, in certain cases, right. Um, obviously there's a range, but you know, when you saw that decline, what you actually saw was series ABC funds, uh, decline on in terms of their funding, right. Because they looked at their exit multiples and they looked at what public company multiples were. And they said, we can't be backing companies at these valuations. And right. they started pulling back. They had obviously a, a hole in their, you know, on their balance sheet, let's call it, or, you know, when they look at what their current investments have been because of the, pretty steep, you know, pullback, you know, 70, 80% in terms of a lot of these valuations. So what that actually meant was a lot of these series ABC funds couldn't actually stop investing, right? Because right. they have obligations to their LPs. It's very difficult for them to go back to LP and say, hey, we're not investing at all anymore. So what they actually did is they actually became seeded investors or pre-seeded investors in some cases. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what was interesting over the last year and a half, you saw a decline in valuations pretty much against every category except for AI. And you saw an, and then you saw an increase in valuations though at seed stage and pre-seed, which was mm-hmm. very odd because you're taking a large right. amount of money, you're trying to deploy it in a much smaller category. Mm-hmm. So right. we then looked at this and we tend to typically our checks are in pre-seed and seed, and then we follow on in series A. And we said this gets very difficult to back because you've got increasing valuations on seed and yeah. you've got significantly decreased valuations, 70, 80% on exit multiples, et cetera. So that as a whole, we weren't the only one seeing that basically across the board. Most people saw that from the, from the VC landscape. And so you saw a pretty large 
you know, decline or slow down funding. And valuation higher on seed stage, there wasn't a lot of deals happening. And right. what we probably saw about 90 days ago, maybe 100 days ago now, our data, we started to see this pick up because we saw now a pretty large correction in seed and seed valuations, you know, lower, but that's actually good for everyone because we're seeing actually an increased activity. And so if more deals are closing and more companies are getting funded, it is a lot better for everyone. So we saw companies, of course, better numbers, better metrics. You know, a lot of companies obviously washed out of this process over the last year and a half, but we're actually seeing a lot more deals happen. And even from our perspective, we're now doing more deals last month and this month than we've done in any month in our fund's history. Um, we think that will continue for at least the next months. And obviously, we'll continue to reassess what we love what we're seeing in the market now. And we tend to typically get, you know, 400 to 600 a month. Yeah. Yeah. That it, it's, it's completely consistent with what I, you know, see in our fund as well. I mean, we, we, we essentially slowed down to almost a stop, you know, for 12 months in terms of, in terms of funding, because we're at the same stage you are, we're seed, um, you know, we're that's I guess precede and seed would would be the would be the the way, and, and we've seen the exact same thing the last few months. It's it's been this quick uptake as we've just kind of had to wait for those seed valuations to start to come down, and, and I mean that's a that's a big lag. It's um, it's super. I, I think that um, that's held true even in enterprise SaaS or anything, and it's interesting that it would. You know, within blockchain web three, it's it's been the exact same thing, with the exception of AI, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the big things is in environments where there's high interest rates and like high risk free rate, right? It yeah. is very difficult to invest in in venture or private equity, right? So you're mm-hmm. seeing less investors deploy money into these categories from like a LP perspective. Mm-hmm. Had quite timing because we raised our funds, you know, uh, and co- closed it last year. You're seeing that. I think as there's expectations that interest rates will get cut in 24 or, or mid 24, or depending on who you're talking to, we're seeing increased activity in restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's interesting. I've also seen do a lot of work with private equity firms, and we've seen them creep down in size and deals that they never really touched before. And you kind of made that point. And I'm seeing that kind of across the ecosystem because that's a good place to deploy now really. Right. Absolutely. So when you look out kind of on the, on the landscape, Ali, when you think about the future of blockchain in general, if you're a founder interested in getting into this space, right? Um, what do you, what should you be looking at? What should you be thinking about today in terms of where you see this, where you see the technology emerge and where the, where the opportunities for founders are going to, are going to really emerge? It's a, it's a really good question. Look at this technology, you know, going and impacting a lot of different sectors, right? So when we invest in companies, we sort of break it down into, you know, three categories, essentially, when we're thinking about investing in startup space. There's essentially, you know, companies that are servicing the space, which could be like, you know, a little bit more web 2.0 kind of company, but they're, you know, they're on off ramps. It could be like exchanges. They're more centralized, though. They're not decentralized. They've got your more, you know, Web three native companies, which are going to be your decentralized protocol, like fully decentralized applications or DeFi, et cetera. But then we've also got a category which is real application of, right? 
And there's a lot of really cool examples in here, which are, you know, when you have the technology impacting the everyday life of people and they don't even know they're using it. Right. And I've got some pretty cool examples of that as well. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, when I give advice to founders, it's, you know, you've got to be passionate about this, right? Like you've got to find a problem you're passionate about and then figure out what, what solutions are, you know, to help you get there and get a competitive mm-hmm. advantage. And so if blockchain is not one of those, then, then obviously don't use it, right? If AI is not one of those, don't use it, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. so, uh, but I think there's a lot of ways these days to apply these technologies and get a competitive advantage. That's the big thing that we're looking for when we look at those real world applications. It's does this technology give you a major competitive advantage versus the market? And if that's true, then that becomes very interesting for us as an investment, right? Um, so, you know, I would say you've got to be passionate about it. You've got to really go talk to customers. I mean, if you're starting off a business, we generally recommend our, our, our startups talk to at least 30 potential customers, figure out what they want, figure out their pain points, really go be like, is there real problem here that you're solving? And can you, you know, can you get to a stage where you can solve this effectively and monetize it? Right. Yep. It can you, uh, you, you just referenced something. I'd love for you to go back to it for a second. Those cut those those use cases, those examples of the use cases that where this technology is happening in our everyday lives, and we don't even realize this is what we're dealing with, right? Because I think a lot of the there's sort of this kind of magic, right, associated with like you know blockchain and Web three, but it, it's around us every day. It what what are those examples? I'll give you a few different examples, right? So so take uh, gaming for example, right, and you know, when a lot of people look at this market, they think about these AAA games, very high detail, et cetera. But they might not realize that, you know, 65% of the entire industry's revenues are hyper cash. And we've actually found this uh, superstar female founder out of DC working on a company called Breshna. And Breshna essentially allows anyone in the world to create a video game in minutes, uh, these hyper casual games in minutes. And What's really cool here is she's also now built the world's first uh, text-to-game engine. So you can just type what you want and I'll build you the game, which is really, really cool. And these are just like, you know, Super Mario, Flappy Bird, Space Invaders, you know, Wordle. But like, these are the templates. And so as they get more and more of these templates and they're opening these up so anyone can build templates, then anyone can just build a game in seconds. And so, you know, we bought Brush a year and a half ago. They hadn't been creating games really yet. You know, this year alone, uh, they've created about 150,000 games already. So it's just blown up. There's millions of users playing these games every month. And, you know, what's really cool here is as part of this layer on the on the blockchain, there's now incentives for people that create the, you know, game templates, right? People that actually create the games, people that own the assets or think about royalty, like assets or et cetera. You earn royalties from that. Anyone that helps to promote and and share these also earn. So you have these really cool things, but it's a very different take on gaming. Some people think about let's create one killer game, but how do we create billions, right? Right. Um, and you know, even if a small fraction of those actually become popular and win, it already amounts to a lot more in aggregate, right? And now we're seeing teams actually use this technology because they're saying this is the first time we've ever been able to monetize our work and create things that are fun for but actually be able to share it even more broadly than just our own classroom. So there's a lot of things that you were unlocking opportunities here. Another cool one that I think 
impacts any pet owners, if there's any listeners here that are pet owners. Uh, and I'm not a pet owner myself, so I've learned a lot about this market. But at least what I, I learned about this, and many of our discoveries are pet owners. If you've got a dog, a cat, or a pet, and you, know, you typically have their vaccine certificates, and these certificates are typically on paper. In some rare right. cases, they're actually digital, but they're uh, kind of more centralized or like localized systems, so they don't actually uh, get accepted everywhere. But every time you go to like a dog daycare or pet daycare, every time you go to a groomer, you've got to actually bring these certificates with you. And this seems like such an archaic process. And so <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And so Petastic, one of our investments, is digitized uh, this and created almost like a pet password, pet ID. And this is actually easier than, say, health records or human IDs because of you don't have to follow, say, HIPAA compliance for pets. As yeah. example, it's a lot less regulated, a lot easier to execute scale, less red tape. This issue has been really close. We put over half a million pets on chain in the last few months. You know, Nestle came in as an investor in the company as well, which is one of the biggest food makers in the world. But like really, really fascinating things where this is going to change the entire industry. In reality, this should be gold standard across the entire world of how it operates because nobody should have to get around these certificates when you know, to get for their pet. So really, really cool things that um, you know we might not be thinking about, but at the end of the day, it's powered in the background by this technology that's allowing you know, more effective, better sort of experiences. Yep. I, yeah, I'm curious if, if, if this is just kind of a quick aside question, but you know, I, my fund is we are typically enterprise SaaS, but we're almost, we're exclusively around future of work technologies. It seems like the, the blockchain has huge implications when you're talking about kind of future of work sort of topics, right? Recruiting higher, you know, just sort of the ability to kind of move your own data from one, um, you know, one employer to another, things like that. Are you seeing that as also a kind of an area of emergence around the startups you're you're looking at? We, we are seeing it as a, as a very interesting area. I think uh, maybe as part of that, maybe a bigger, bigger part of that is, you know, cookies are getting faded out. Start right. Before. And this is impacting a lot more. Like this is essentially impacting everyone, right? Every major thing that we could even think of you know, that, that based off of advertising revenues is essentially based off cookies. And right. You know, we're seeing really interesting opportunities here when you talk about the data and being able to own data, be able to you know, potentially aggregate data more effectively and have it go to uh, you know, certain parties that can use that data. I think that this technology will be required. Um, you know, the world could move in a very different way, but I think Europe the way they've sort of a lot lines with you know data is is people's right and and they own their own data and i think that lot fairly well with egos and the way that a lot of people in the web3 space have been thinking so if the world moves more that european standard which seems like it has been to some extent then i think there's a very strong use case for for this technology and it, and it would win in that scenario yeah yeah absolutely that's cool. I, I just want to take it in a different uh, in a different direction. Um, you talked about kind of leveling the playing field, um, and really interested. It seems like you're really passionate about that. So I know you're doing work with INSEAD and the UN to kind of look at using emerging technologies to alleviate poverty um, and for other 
things other than just generating revenue or kind of solving that problem. What are some of the things that, you know, you've seen tangible impacts or, or things that you're hoping to see? Yeah. So, I mean, the way I look at it is to have sustainable impact, it has to be a social. So it has to go revenue or have to make profits, but you can yeah. still do incredible good in the world. Right. And my, my biggest frustration in time is we built a system that just leaves a lot of people out and yeah. it's, it's, it's part of the system and we seem to be okay with it. But when we look at it, we've left a billion people out of the financial system that are unbanked, that don't have access to it. And these are major problems. When you think about the technology, have the fundamental ability of borrowing savings profits in a digital world, being able to also even leverage like peer-to-peer -peer solutions that can actually solve this quite effectively. We're not there fully yet. But when uh -huh. you even like any wallet instantly you can create without an identity, you already are sort of solving potentially that like savings or like, you know, checking, you know, account problem. Then like savings is being yield off of and then like lending and, 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 and borrowing are obviously very uh, critical part of society's work and how you can unlock growth. And so we need to be, able to, you know, make major progress on these, but regulation comes into play and, and we've got to figure out what's the balance, right? Because I don't think it's okay that our existing system cuts out of people. Having said that, there's reasons for some of these things, right? Obviously, yeah. the concept of like, and CFP and making sure money comes to the wrong places, used for the wrong business, et cetera. So there are for some of these rules and regulations, but we've got to figure out where is that balance? How do we make this work? So there's a lot of really, really cool applications right now that are happening across, you know, Latin, Central America, takes up Saharan Africa, where this technology is making a real difference. Even when you think about, and this is not a problem that we think about oftentimes West or more developed, you know, when you take problems of like individual, like instability of currencies, you have, you know, an inability to trust either your banks or your central bank. Like these are problems that our countries take Nigeria as an example and how big of a there is in the, you know, in the central bank rate to the black market rate, even of the Naira, right? So these are very big problems that we might not think about today or even ever in, in, in our part of the world. Uh, but oftentimes this is what they're about every single and so, you know, being able to create and assess financial systems more effectively, being able to create an alternative credit system because their governments, you know, may not be effective or doing the things that we would expect here in America or, or Canada or other countries are things that we need to solve. And so we've got all sorts of companies. We just did a, a couple new investments in Africa. We're doing one right now in, in Central America and Latin America. How do you move money effectively? How do you actually do cross-border payments? Actually bring money effectively, reduce fees dramatically, solve challenges around credit. We just backed a little company in Nigeria called Credit, uh, which essentially has built a couple of really cool things. But one, they the ability for microfinance uh, banks and banks to be able to issue loans more effectively. And they've helped drop non-performing loan ratios for these microfinance banks and banks from 30% to 10%, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, and they also built like a plaid for Africa. So you can essentially connect in your bank, share all of your actions, which gives a lot more detail for a lender. It also allows you to 
people's credit more effectively now, right? And that might not be that you're doing every day in America because you've got a more effective credit scoring system. But in other parts of the world, it's not as effective. But even, you know, the time to update the credit score, credit bureau in some of these countries take, um, you know, in, in this case specifically, it, it can take up to one month, one and a half months. Credits help reduce that to 17 seconds. So like a lot of really, really cool changing that I think are going to even help some of these countries leapfrog potentially right, right. the systems we have here because a lot of our systems are then going to be, you know, 20, 30, 40 years and, and yeah. they're going to be innovating to what's, you know, at the cutting edge. I was going to yeah. say, I mean, the entire credit reporting system in the U.S., you could argue is is pretty archaic, right? I mean, that those lag times are not uh, are not uncommon here in the U.S. as well, right? When you see, yeah. you know, I and mean, it's not I uncommon that. months that go by. Yeah, and I love the idea and what you said. It's super important. It's not just about helping. It's like enabling it from a profit standpoint because that that's that's sustainable, right? That's a sustainable advantage that you know you just kind of intimated that it could be an advantage because they they're skipping a step. They're not doing the old thing we're doing. And I I saw that the first time I was in Singapore many many years ago cell phones were every kid had them in the u.s it was kind of scarce and this is aging me but every kid had them and i'm like what is going on why does everyone have a cell phone it was just like people in business had a cell phone but that was the infrastructure they skipped to right and then it was just mobile was so much easier for them peter was it cell phones or telephones that were like that old yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I love that. That's so cool. That, um, and those are some of the things that you're seeing happen, and those are things that you're investing in too. It sounds like, absolutely. I mean, when you look at some of the biggest problems that you see in the emerging world, it's oftentimes going to be around like inability to access credit and and lending, yeah. and and that that becomes a very big bottleneck because we might not think about it because it's so you know native now to our everyday life, but yeah. it impacts every part of it, right? Whether it's like credit cards or even like other yeah. financing options when you're buying a car or a house, like all of these things are, are almost like expected. Um, yeah. Whereas in, in, in these parts of the world, they just may not even exist or you yeah. can't access them at effective rates that would make any sense. Right. And they're starting to happen. You start adding in technology. Ideally, we can get more internet financing that you know makes if we can reduce the risk it allows you know opportunities for investors globally to earn a high yield but not take on you know excessive risk etc yeah yeah that's really cool well this is uh this is really amazing ali i think um you know super interesting i think just to kind of as we as we start to wrap up um you know tell us a little bit about what are you working on today i know you've you're writer you've got a lot of stuff going on outside of uh, outside of the fund. Tell us uh, what you're working on today. And if somebody has, you know, if, if there's a founder out there who has a concept that, you know, they would love to, you know, kind of beat up with you a little bit, what's the best way for somebody to get into contact? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I love what I do, right? And I think that, you know, for me, the big thing is I see myself as an investor than as a founder, right? And we love to roll up our sleeves with our founders, help them solve problems. Be the first place the founder comes when they have a challenge, not be worried about getting scolded, but more around like, let's just figure it out, right? Let's figure it out yep. or let's, let's solve it. And and the big part of this is 
we'll also help connect them into who are some of the best in the world around domain, right? So this is a big thing for for us in the way I look at it. Um, and our founders, you know, can call me anytime, you know, middle of the night, et cetera. And I love it. And it's like, let's go solve problems together. And that's a, a big part of sort of how I see things. And so, you know, if you do have a great idea, if you're trying to build something that, you know, can change the world or sort of, you know, help a lot of people, um, definitely reach out to us. You can you can find any of our partners team on, on social media across any of the major ones. Um, you can also just reach out on our website um, and share with us what you're working on. Actually, really cool. We review every single thing that gets submitted to us as a partner group, not an analyst, like we every single company. Um, and I think this is actually very important when you're looking at emerging technologies and how the future could be fine. Like we believe that like, you know, a partner has got to look at this, spend the time, bring in wealth of experiences. And it's the same thing that, you know, when we're working with experienced founders, we want them to bring our A game. We, we do the same, right? So I uh, would love to hear from, from anyone that's uh, working on some cool ideas. That's awesome. That's uh, cool. Website is what? Blockchain.com. Got it. And we will, uh, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, Ali, really uh, a real pleasure to have you. Um, this has been really, uh, I mean, this is just, incredibly interesting stuff. I think, you know, it's not, um, you know, there's just, there's so much talk around emerging technologies and, uh-huh. you know, whether that's blockchain or it's web three or it's AI and things like that to try to sort of simplify it a little bit, make sense and really try to help uh, founders really identify where those just, opportunities just for, are. Just for the founders listening out there, he just described what good money is. Like, right. like <laughs> yeah. that's going to do that. Cool. That is a good description. If you're new at this, this is what you want to hear from your investor. Someone that says exactly what Ali said, you yep. know, roll up the sleeves, look at stuff, be part of your team, add significant value. So really excited to have you in the ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Ali. Appreciate you coming. Thank you. My pleasure. And thanks yeah, for having me uh, on. Yeah. See you on the uh, next edition of the Founders Journey podcast.